Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a special episode of the Conservation Conversation. Today, we are going to be joined by Will Falk, and we're going to learn about lithium mining. Now, you know, we're in an interesting time where a lot of people think to themselves, well, if I go out and I buy a Tesla, then I am contributing to the benefit of the future. And there's a lot of question marks into how we're moving into green energy territory. So I want to get right into it today. We have an amazing guest that we can learn from. So without much more ado, let's go ahead and start the show. Remember, it's our world. We're going to talk about it. Okay, and we're back. Hey, Will, thanks for joining today. Hey, Eric. Hey, everyone. First, uh, happy birthday, Eric. Hey, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> you know what? This is actually the best birthday gift, uh, an opportunity to talk about environmentalism and activism. So this is uh, this is definitely the best gift I could get. So <laughs> appreciate you being here. Awesome. awesome. So now um, I, I want to uh, just kind of jump right in. And everybody that's watching, please feel free to type in comments. You can ask Will direct questions during the show, and uh, we'll we'll pop them on the screen and make sure that everything uh, gets gets paid attention to. So, Will, to start off with, um, for people that don't know, I'll just say real quick that I know that uh, you're a very strong environmentalist, activist, lawyer, writer, and you spend a lot of time fighting for the rights of nature. Um, and, you know, for everybody that loves nature and that also tries to help fight for nature, we say thank you uh, for, for all of your work. Um, so what I wanted to do is, is to Jay, just tell us uh, where you are and uh, what's happening. Yeah. So I don't know if you can kind of tell I'm in my car uh, in um, a place called Thacker Pass, Nevada which is in northwestern Nevada, uh, about 60 miles north of Winnemucca. Uh, this is uh, the northern part of uh, what is known as the Great Basin. It is um, a place that um, sits between two mountain ranges. Uh, it's really hard to show that right now because we're pretty socked in by the clouds and, and the snow, but I am uh, facing almost due south. And there is a range of mountains um, to the south of me called the Double uh, H Mountains. And there is a mountain range right behind me called the Montana Mountains. Um, Thacker Pass is uh, set for a massive open pit lithium mine. Um, the corporation that wants to dig this lithium mine is called Lithium Americas. And they're actually a Canadian company based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, the, the mine that they, uh, want to dig, uh, would disturb around 10,000 acres, uh, but the mine itself would be about 5,000 acres. Uh, and, um, it would, it would tear up, uh, what is, um, old growth sagebrush habitat. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there are sagebrush, um, that I'm surrounded in right now that, um, can be as tall as four or five feet and they can be as old as a hundred years or, or even older. Um, and there are a few, um, uh, old sagebrush out here that are older than a hundred years. So really old beings. Um, so this mine would destroy that old growth sage habitat. 
this is some of the best remaining uh, sagebrush habitat left in the world. Um, the, the Great Basin has been uh, heavily damaged by both mining and ranching. Uh, and um, ranchers in particular don't seem to like sagebrush because uh, cows don't eat sagebrush. Mm -hmm. So they often, um, just like forests are clear cut for agricultural purposes, sagebrush is clear cut for agricultural purposes. Um, this is also home to um, some of the best remaining sage grouse habitat. Sage grouse is one of the West's iconic species. It's a bird um, that, uh, you know, it kind of looks a little bit like a bigger quail, um, but it has beautiful feathers. Uh, um, and and uh, when, when the birds are mating, the males strut around like peacocks with this big um, flash of feathers. Uh, they, uh, unfortunately, sage grouse uh, have been decimated. Um, they're down... 97 to 99% of their um, original numbers pre-European invasion of this area. Um, and right where I'm sitting is part of uh, probably the best um, sage-grouse habitat left uh, in, in the world and is home to, they're estimating between 5 and 8% of the total uh, sage-grouse uh, population on Earth. Um, so... That's another species that would be uh, horribly affected by by this massive mine. Um, mm. There are there are other species out here that would that would be really hurt. Um, pronghorn only eat sagebrush. Pronghorn pass through here all the time. Uh, they, they wouldn't have food if if all of this gets ripped up. Uh, we actually saw a pair of breeding golden eagles just a couple days ago on the hills behind our camp. Um, and if you've ever seen uh, golden eagles uh, doing the deed, they do this very beautiful um, flying dance where they fly around each other and come together and they kind of drop for a little while while they're actually in intercourse. But they drop and kind of tumble around each other and it's this really beautiful um, ritual that, that they do. Um, that pair of, of golden eagles and golden eagles are also um, a pretty threatened species that um, are really, really are shy creatures. They don't like being around humans very much, um, but that, that breeding pair will be hurt. And if the mine is dug, um, if there's a little golden eagle that was, um, you know, started during that mating dance that we saw the other day, um, it's it's possible that that could really um, affect uh, whether that golden eagle is born or not. Um, but yeah, so I think the, you know, the really interesting thing about this is uh, the way that people have associated um, electric cars and electric car batteries. The lithium that will be mined here will primarily go to electric car batteries. In fact, it will supply as much as 25% of the world's total lithium just right from this path. Wow. Um, um, but of course, Lithium Americas and, and many other people um, have characterized this mine as a green mine, um, that this is somehow an environmentally friendly mine. Um, and also... Um, that it's it's you know going to somehow be better for climate change that um, all of this this area is destroyed. Uh, but a few more specifics about what it will take to to um, 
um, developed this mine from, from Lithium America's environmental impact statement, uh, which was, um, which was, I think first made public, um, in December of last year, but, but the Bureau of Land Management issued their final permits, um, which, which includes all the final environmental impact statement. Lithium America says uh, some pretty crazy things. Um, for example, they anticipate burning 11,300 gallons of diesel fuel per day while operating this mine. Um, diesel, diesel fuel is wow. a greenhouse gas emission. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That, they, that's a massive uh, price tag right there for, for this supposedly clean, clean gas or clean, <laughs> clean energy. Absolutely. Um, another really interesting thing, or I think it's really interesting um, to leach the lithium from the earth here, they have to uh, use massive amounts of sulfuric acid. Um, so in order to, uh, they're going to manufacture that sulfuric acid uh, just a few miles down the valley from where they're actually mining. And uh, the way that they're going to make this sulfuric acid is they're actually going to truck in uh, sulfur that is a, a waste byproduct of oil refineries. And they are going to um, create the sulfuric acid from, from that waste from oil refineries. So... Um, the emissions that that, that produce is also um, a really bad thing. And uh, one of the reasons that I bring that up specifically is that, um, you know, we're, we're taught that, that things like electric vehicles and, and alternative energies are going to save us from fossil fuels. But when you look at how they actually have to mine this stuff, all of the fossil fuel infrastructure is insulated and necessary for their mine. Um, so, you know, we're not, you're not going to be able to have electric car batteries without fossil fuels. Um, <laughs> I want to be very, very clear that I am not a proponent of fossil fuels um, and I am not a proponent of these alternative energies either. Um, but it's, it's, people need to understand that fossil fuels are, are definitely used when, when they're buying their, their electric vehicles. Um, you know, that, that's a great guess, point that you bring up because <clears throat> they make it sound like it's totally separate, you know, but, it, and, and to talk to you, it makes more understanding that it's actually a new branch of the fossil fuel industry to try to work their way into a, a kind of a green, um, you know, the, it's so popular now that they're kind of working their way into it. But um, I, I didn't even have any idea how much fossil fuel would be involved in the production of this supposedly uh, cleaner energy. Right. Um, I mean, I was reading that there's a $30 billion a year industry. <clears throat> so, you know, they they're already have done quite a bit of damage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so the, I think one thing that I wanted to ask you about because you fight for the rights of nature, you know, what, what we're seeing right now is we're seeing a fossil fuel company trying to reach out, maintain their leverage, maintain their money, maintain what they're doing, make a fake transition over. How can we rethink the concept of clean energy to where we can walk away from these types of fossil fuel traps? Well, um, I guess I'll start. One reason um, that I've been involved with the with the rights of nature movement in particular is um, I consider myself uh, 
uh, an earth-centered or biophilic uh, lawyer and writer, activist, human being, animal. Um, and, and what I mean by that is my allegiance is always first and foremost to the natural world. Um, my allegiance is not always first and foremost to some privileged humans using energy that they don't necessarily need. Um, so when we when we see things in this way, when we prioritize the needs of the natural world, then we start to um, we start to see that destroying a mountain for fossil fuels or coal or oil is horrible, and destroying mountain for lithium is also horrible. Um, so I think one of the things that that like, how are we going to start to not fall into this trap? How are we going to see through these tricks? One way that I I've been explaining it is, we need to we need to we need to look at this underlying assumption that humans need electric cars, that humans need industrial energies, and realize that human beings have been Homo sapiens, the 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 um, you know, species that we've, we've evolved to, we have, we have been human beings for 250,000 years. And it's only been the last hundred years or so that, that any human beings even had automobiles. So for 249,900 years, human beings survived and thrived, um, without needing automobiles. So the notion that we need this technology is in my opinion, simply absurd. I understand that over the last hundred years, there have been incredibly um, horrible, you know, governmental and, and corporate and industrial pushes to make uh, many human communities dependent on automobiles for things like going to the grocery store or trucking in food in, in places where humans can't grow their own food. I understand in that sense that some of those communities um, have come to depend on automobiles, but we don't need them you know human beings can can walk human beings can use other forms of transportation like boats on water um and when we're talking about destroying the natural world uh for something that is quite frankly a luxury for human beings something that makes human life a little bit easier um to me that is is immoral that is wrong and that is something that i will fight with every last breath in my body um because it's just not okay to destroy other living beings for something that, that um, is a luxury. That's beautifully said. And, you know, that that's a great way to think of it. Uh, you know, a lot of us think of them as necessities, but in actuality, they are luxuries, you know, and there's a lot of places where I've been where no communities even have cars, like, you know, deep in the, the jungles and stuff. And they, they go by boat, they go by canoe, and they get a lot more done <laughs> than we do sitting in traffic every day, uh, just, you know, eating away the ozone and eating away our, our uh, you know, our, our entire world around us. And it, it is crazy that it seems like the entire world is sort of being strip mined down just to be put into the tank, um, you know, which in the end is just something that drives industry, um, you know. And, and so I love your idea about rethinking what we what we need is necessities as we move forward. You know, we're in this beautiful time where people are starting to really question, okay, is the, the way that things worked, the way that they can work? And uh, I think, you know, you're bringing up great points that these are the critical moments to rethink some of these foundational beliefs upon which we've built our 
quote unquote needs or necessities. Um, you know, and I mean, you know, I mean, there, there's places, you know, where I've been and, and people can't even breathe the air. Um, and I'm excluding Los Angeles, which is one of them, but, you know, places around the world where it's already gone too far. And it sounds like if we lose Thacker Pass and we lose this uninterrupted area, we're going to lose all the biodiversity and everything that has kept that area in balance for, for so long. Um, and I wanted to ask you about the water because I was reading that lithium mining takes tons of water. Um, you know, do you think, how do you think that's going to affect the local communities or the local nature uh, or the, the ongoing future of that area with the, the water being used in the lithium production or mining? Yeah, that's, that's a great question and, and a great thing to talk about. Um, you know, we've, we've had a few locals uh, come up to the, to the um, occupation here and, and talk to us and, um, they're very worried about uh, how much water the mine will use. Um, Nevada is the driest state in the United States. Um, and the, um, the Lithium Americas in their environmental impact statement said that they're going to have to use uh, 2,600 acre feet of water annually in the first three or four years of, of getting mine up and running. But when we have up and running, they're going to use 5,200 uh, acre feet of water annually that's 2600 acre feet of water is 850 million gallons um so uh i think that's what um 17 i'm i'm really bad at arithmetic but if you double that that's what's going to happen um, um once they get the mine up and running that's that is it that's a complete I mean, that, that number alone is just terrifying that, you know, that, that is, and we know that, you know, when industries use this, they release it back in with uh, usually some forms of heavy, heavy metals or toxins or, you know, because they're using it as a way to cool down or pull out a lot of, of the unwanted um, impurities that they consider of their, of their product um, aside from just running their machines, you know, and it's, I've, I've seen the same thing with the phosphate mining and other forms of mining where, what comes back out is just deadly to everything. Um, now, Sierra had a question for you, Will. Uh, do you know how they plan to manage the waste that's produced from the lithium mining? Yeah, um, they're planning on storing it in a big um, uh, line. <laughs> they're they're going to build a big pit that they're going to put a lining into it. They're going to pump water that and um, Jeez. You know, we're there. You know, of course, they're very confident that that um, will never leak or none will leach out of that. Um, but of course, we we could probably look up statistics of 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 how those things work and just you know how how often they actually leak, even even with industrial best practices. Um, I know that they um, they've got some permission from. Um, I think it's the, one of the Nevada water uh, authorities here that that is responsible for permitting, um, and and it says okay that there's going to be arsenic um, in this in this waste, um, and and uh, I even read that they're anticipating that it will it will take uh, 300 years for that arsenic to kind of naturally be um, washed out of here, um, and. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, 
just to think about, um, you know, and I know many forms of industrial waste last way longer than 300 years. I understand that. Um, but to think that uh, even if this place was going to have a chance to heal after, after this mine, you know, yielded all the lithium, all the lithium was ripped out of the earth that could be ripped out to know that there's still going to be heavy metals like that in, um, in the area for 300 years. It's, you know, you got to think about, um, who's going to drink that water, both human and non-human. Um, there's a, um, there's a really threatened species of trout, the Lahontan trout that lives in a lot of streams around here. Eventually, you know, water keeps moving to where other water is. Eventually that waste is going to, um, get to where those fish are. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's a really bad idea to use that much water in the desert and then to create those kinds of waste. <clears throat> yeah, no, that just does not, I mean, that does not sound like a good plan. <laughs> you know, it's amazing that, that the administration would, would sign off on that um, as they're trying to kind of promote that, hey, we're pulling back the XL pipeline and this and that, you know, and I know from, uh, like Sherry says, with Mosaic, um, they put all their stuff, it's too toxic for them to actually remove it. And they put it in these, these holders and they have this liner and they leak at least a couple times a year. Um, you know, and then it becomes this cat and mouse game of, okay, well, you know, we found a leak and now we're fixing it and they never hold the responsibility of, you know, it even going into aquifers or other forms of, of the water around. And so, you know, from just from the study of, um, of phosphate mining, you know, that, that their plan is guaranteed to fail. Um, if they just look at the, the previous, you know, uh, times where this is, um, this concept has been used. And it just sounds like they're going to turn in one of these beautiful, biodiverse, really important environmental areas into just a wasteland that'll slowly poison all the life there. And I'm sure once they use up the, the acres that they have, um, they're going to want to expand it and, and find a reason to, it's kind of like if they pry the door open, um, then it's, you know, it's kind of game over. Um, and now for everybody's joining, Will is actually occupying that area right now to bring attention to it. Um, and Will, I wanted to ask you about number one, you know, what, what gave you that inspiration? Um, and, and, and also how it's going and most importantly, how can people jump in and help you guys with what's happening right now? Yeah. Um, um, you know, real quick, the, the first thing that we really need is, is other people up here. Um, you know, there's all kinds of reasons for that. One, it's really hard to main camp, maintain camp when there's six inches of snow on the ground and, and more mm. falling all the time. <laughs> um, but also, um, you know, it's going to take more people. If let me, let me put it real, frankly, there's one road into Thacker Pass. Um, it's, I think, called Highway 293 Kings River Road that, that moves through um, the center of Thacker Pass. Uh, if, if they're going to um, destroy this place, they're going to have to move that construction equipment on that road. Um, you know, it's a two-lane highway. It's not that wide. If we got enough people to block that highway and we could block it for long enough, perhaps they never... Um, they never put metal in the ground here. They never, they never touch this place. Um, but for that plan to work, um, we definitely need a lot of people that are willing to, to, to stay here and willing to put their body on the line, uh, when the machinery comes. Um, if, 
I also want to say that I'm really, um, I understand how scary of, of a prospect that is. I, I truly understand, um, you know, and, and I'm confronting it in myself, how scary it is to think about, um, you know, getting arrested, uh, thinking about putting, putting up with the pressure that the corporation is, is sure to put on us, um, putting up with, um, angry, angry locals who have been promised jobs, um, around this mine. Um, but, you know, I think that at this late in, in the game where so much of the planet has been destroyed already, I really, really encourage people if you're, if you're ready to, if you're ready to, to make that next step and, 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 and really stand up to the forces destroying the planet, we could really use you. Um, if you're not ready to make that um, that kind of commitment or, or put yourself in that kind of harm's way, that take that kind of risk on yourself, I totally understand. We could use um, funds. Um, we have a, a button on our uh, website, protectthackerpass.org. Thacker is spelled T-H-A-C-K-E-R. And we have a donate button. Um, those funds will be used um, for supplies, um, for food, to feed people if they get here. We'll also use some of those funds to help people get here um, if, if, if they're really committed to coming. Um, and we'll use it for legal defense purposes, which, which seems like is, is where this is heading. Um, but to answer your first question, why, why am I, why did I personally decide um, to occupy this place. Um, why did I choose this tactic as as the way to to protect Thacker Pass? Um, you know, a, as you've said, and we've talked about a little bit, I am a lawyer. Um, I am a lawyer who, uh, through my experiences trying to use law to protect the natural world, um, I don't think that law right now is a strong enough tactic to, to truly stop destruction. Mm. Um, you know, I can, I can, I can point out, you know, the fact that, you know, we've had an environmental movement since, um, some people date the modern environmental movement with 1962 and Rachel Carson's publication of the book Silent Spring. Um, and people, you know, get really excited that we've had that environmental movement. However, um, in that time, things like the Endangered Species Act were passed, um, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, and those things, for the harm that they do stop, um, it's good that they do that, even though I think they stop a lot less harm than people realize. Um, but if, if we, we, we think back to 1962, the world is in much worse shape than it, than it was in 1962. Um, there's, you know, I can go into the really scary stats, like, you know, 70% vertebrate, um, wildlife has been lost since, since 1970. Um, you know, we're, we're getting to a place where dozens of species are going extinct every day. And one reason that I think that the environmental movement is failing is that we much on tactically legal tactics, which ultimately on convincing a judge or the government um, to do the right thing, protect wild places and wild beings. Um, 
it, that that sort of persuasive action has proven to be wholly impotent to to stop the destruction. Um, it, it simply isn't working, and I think I do think that we all have a responsibility um, to to think about of, of humans and not humans, and I think that they're not going to be really concerned with what tactics we use. They're going to be concerned that there's clean water to drink, clean air to breathe, uh, you know, good soil to to support uh, biotic communities. Um, and they're, they're not necessarily going to care how we did it. So, you know, if, if that means using more confrontational tactics that engaging in more direct action, uh, then I think that we have a responsibility to explore those tactics. I guess personally, you know, I've seen law fail over and over again. Um, one of the most recent things that I was involved in was helping the people of Toledo, Ohio draft uh, what was called the Erie Bill of Rights, um, which granted rights to Lake Erie. They did this after um, a algal bloom um, that made their water undrinkable for three days in in August, the last time of the year. Um, this this in 2014, they had their water shut off for uh, three days in August because of this algal bloom, which was largely created by um, basically um, you know animal shit from agricultural uh, hmm. operations that run into the lake. Um, so they decided that they wanted to um, pass this, this later bill of rights and they spent five years go, jumping through all the hoops, overcoming all of the, um, all the attempts to keep it off of a ballot. So the state of Ohio has um, um, a citizenship process where citizens can draft laws and get them on a ballot and pass laws directly. You don't have to go through a legislature. So they got on a ballot, and the people of the city of Toledo um, voted um, to actually give Lake Erie rights, to recognize Lake Erie uh, as a person with the same, with similar rights as, as human citizens. 61% of the people who voted in that election said that's what they wanted. And in American electoral politics, that's an overwhelming majority. You, you rarely see numbers in the 60s. Hmm. However, um, it only about four hours after that law uh, was enacted, a agricultural corporation sued, um, saying that that's unconstitutional. You can't give natural beings rights, uh, and if, and of course, a federal court agreed with them and struck the law down. Um, so, you know, I, I tell I always tell that story as why law really is an ineffective tactic because, um, you know, even with a clear statement of democratic will the people of toledo said we want this law um all it took was a federal judge to step in and say you can't do that um and then of course the state of ohio made rights of nature legislation illegal you can't even bring it up in in citizens initiatives um Jeez. so that all um happened uh, about a year ago for me. So um, the law was sort of finally invalidated in, um, I think, January of, of 2020. So, um, so being in love with the Great Basin and places like Thacker Pass, when I learned about the imminent um, 
the imminent harm that was coming. Um, and I learned that the Bureau of Land Management had given its final approval to the, the Lithium America's lithium mine. Um, you know, I realized I don't think that the law is going to protect this place. Um, and so we're going to have to do it ourselves. So that's, that's why I'm, I'm occupying this place. Um, you know, I want to be clear that um, land only engaging in land defense is not going to be an adequate um, strategy for, for defending the natural world. We can't just defend a place here or there. We're going to have to actually go on the offensive and really work hard to dismantle um, the dominant culture. Um, you know, I do mean direct action tactics. Um, I do mean things like sabotage. Um, but I think that that's, you know, every day that passes, we lose more of the natural world and we just don't have time. And we certainly can't look other beings in the eye when they're being destroyed like this and, and say that we, we're only going to play nice. We're only going to try and persuade people. We're only going to try and convince legislatures who, who are beholding the corporations in the first place uh, to stop the destruction. Um, <clears throat> Absolutely. And, you know, like we saw it with the pipeline, you know, uh, my friend on here that's on here right now, Heather Lynn, she was at the pipeline helping defend that with and, and we saw uh, everybody come together. And so, you know, I, I'm really hoping that more and more people are able to go physically with you guys, be there and try to stop these machines. Um, is there a particular deadline where how's law enforcement with you guys and is there a time when you're expecting the ground to get its first uh, its first dig, or you know what what sort of timeline are you guys looking at so people have sort of an idea of uh, how they can help? Um, it's it's a little bit unclear uh, right now when uh, when they're going to start the digging. Um, uh, we've heard, and and we we don't know this for sure. We've just heard that the Biden administration has put a temporary hold on projects um to kind of go through them and make sure that um you know there are projects that they wanted it, that they want and not the ones that trump wanted um i think that biden's whole platform was you know was really about so-called clean energies i don't see um i think biden is going to want more projects like this than less mm. um but we've heard that they really hope to start digging by the end of the first quarter so by april 1st mm. um Okay. You know, I, I do think that it's kind of urgent. Um, you know, there, there's, I think there's maybe one little appeal that could, that someone could make to, to kind of slow things down. Um, and I hope that, 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 that happens because that would give us more time to get people here. Um, but, um, I did want to say you, you asked about law enforcement. So <laughs> there is a, we're on public lands here. Uh, the BLM uh, Nevada um, regulations say that you can only camp on B on public land, one spot of public land for 14 days before you have to remove outside of a 25 mile radius. Um, and you have to be gone for 14 days before you can come back. Uh, Max and I are committed. We're um, Sorry, I skipped a step. We are on our 14th day today. Tomorrow will be the 15th day. Last okay. week, 
last week BLM Rangers came and told us about the regulation and told us that um, if we if we don't leave that they'll they'll give us a $200 fine. Um, Max and I are committed to not leaving. Um, we think that uh, you know we've been very clear that this is a protest and everything we've done has been um, communicating about the mine and about the, the dangers of clean energy. Uh, we think that our occupation is protected free speech. There's some there's some precedent out there about um, you know what is expressive conduct, and a lot of the Occupy movement actually really pushed the envelope on this by sleeping in public parks and extending those things. Um, however, I also wanted to point out how um, absolutely absurd it is to me that Max and I are actually sleeping within the boundaries of the mine where we lay our heads will be dug up um, if we don't stop this mine. And BLM gave permission to a Canadian company um, to dig the fuck out of this place. Sorry. Um, and um, and that, that company is likely to make billions of dollars with that mine. And yet Max and I, who are just two people, um, sleeping on the ground in a tent in the snow, um, we're going to get fined $200, um, for being on this land that, that, that BLM wants to see destroyed. Anyway. Um, so, you know, it's, it's supposed I, to be public um, land. <laughs> the public should be I enjoying it. Impact camper. On like, I totally get that. However, <laughs> you know, I the impact me and years So, um, you know, we we might get fined more. Did kind of look at federal regulations. They might, um, you know, arrest us if they wanted to, probably. Um, but. Um, you know, having a hard time with your signal right now. Everybody watching, are you able to hear Will? Is it my signal or his signal? I want to make sure we don't miss anything because everything he's saying is very critical. Are you able to hear me, Will? I can, yeah. Okay, all right. Sorry, I, you know your signal was getting a little busted up there, um, so I just want to make sure we're not we're not uh, missing anything. Um, so you know, I, I think uh, uh, no, yeah, people are you're kind of breaking up. It must be your signal out there, and I have to remind everybody, Will is in the middle <laughs> of kind of a, a bit of nowhere. So for him to even get a signal is impressive, and for him to be able to be on with us today, it means a lot because this is a man who is gone and is occupying land to try to stop machines from digging. <clears throat> and as somebody that works in direct act conservation, I understand what it is and how, how crazy it is to put your body on the line and physically say, you know, no, this is, this is for us, not for you. Um, and it takes a lot of courage and it's not easy. And, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping the more people are going to be able to go out there and show up. I, if I wasn't actually leaving the country, I would be out there um, tomorrow with you guys 
Uh, although I will be back in April, and I'm hoping that you guys have been able to shut this down by April. But um, if you're still there, I will be there with you as soon as I get back to the country um, for as long as it takes, um, you know, because I think that there couldn't be anything more important than what you guys are doing and the stand you're making right now. Okay, your signal's back now. Um, we do have to hop off in a second, but is there anything that we didn't really talk about that you'd like to share with everybody um, today on the show? Um, I know it's kind I of mean, a hard question sometimes. <laughs> um, I just i i I just want to impress on people, you know. Just this is a beautiful place. Um, there are so many beautiful beings. We we see um, you know rabbits running around all the time. Uh, you know we've seen pronghorn move through here. We've seen those golden eagles. Um, you know having their mating dance. The sage here is absolutely magical. Um, this is this is a beautiful place, and there are so many beautiful places around the world that are being destroyed for industrial technologies like car batteries. Um, I just, I, I want it to stop and I want us to do it for those beings that, that are, that are being harmed so much. Um, and I want us to do it for those who are going to follow after us. Um, you know, we, we face a really difficult struggle. It's not going to be easy. Some of us are going to be imprisoned. Some of us are going to be killed. Uh, we're going to have to take risks that we we didn't we didn't anticipate. But I think that we're brave enough. We have to be brave enough. And I just we got to do this. And thank you, Eric, for having me. And thank everybody for listening. Um, thanks for giving Thacker Pass and and me this platform. Well, it's it's a very it's a big honor to have you on today, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, educate us on what's happening, and invite us over to your cause. This is uh, one of the most important things that we can do right now, and um, you know, it, like I said, it it takes a lot to to determine with that resolve that you're not going to go anywhere until things are. Uh, saved and fixed. And so thank you for being there. Thank you for bringing all of our attention to it. And uh, as things develop, I'd love to have you back on and let's just keep keep the dialogue going, keep the conversation going and uh, keep promoting what you're doing right now. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Will. Thank you, Eric. And happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. You, you made it great. This, is, uh, this has been very exciting for me today. So I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was an amazing episode to get to talk to Will uh, and to, to learn what's happening and to remind ourselves that if we hear the words clean energy, it's not always that. I mean, you know, again, people think that buying a Tesla is going to save the world. And as long as things are running on lithium, and by the way, between now and 2026, they project lithium to go from 30 billion to 80 billion dollar a year industry. And part of it has to do with this deal that Will is out there putting his life on the line, putting his body on the line, putting his freedom on the line to try to stop. So uh, I put the, the website, oh, there it is, uh, protectthackerpass.org. Please go to that website. If you can go visit and be there with Will, 
I know that he would appreciate it. If you can help him financially, I know that they would appreciate it. Uh, chances are they will need funds for all forms of different aspects to continue this struggle. And we're going to keep checking in with Will and we're going to keep our, our tabs on what's happening out there. And if you guys need to learn more, um, you can message me, you can message Will, you can go to protectthackerpass.org. You can also uh, go to Will's personal website, uh, willfalk.org, and you can contact him directly that way. So if you have any questions or if there's any way that you want to get involved or, or any other way you want to jump in, please let us know. And uh, I'm again, I'm just, uh, I think the environment and all of us that love the environment are very thankful for people that do this type of action and are have the resolute will to see it through to the end. And it's not easy. A lot of us want to change the world just by being at home. And we do what we all do what we can. We all play our part, but we need people in the field and we need people out of the field to help support the people in the field. And so it's a great honor to have Will on today. I can't wait to have him back on. Thank you everybody for joining the show today, joining the conversation and joining in on this very important topic. And I'm uh, very excited to see what happens and what develops. And again, I want to thank Will for being here. And I want to thank everybody for joining in and making sure this topic is heard. Please share this video. Let all of your friends know what's happening at Thacker Pass. Please take the opportunity to get and magnify Will's message and Will's uh, cause and what he's doing right now to protect the environment and try to magnify that for him try to magnify that for the animals, try to magnify that for the environment. And as I always say, it's our world. Let's talk about it. So thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. And we'll see you soon.